Welcome back to the Fire Drill. Before we get into this week's episode, I do want to tell you Tuesday, uh, the second episode of The Grind, our show on YouTube, will come out. Thanks to Golf Tech for their support. I'm super biased because this is the coolest uh, week of my life, but uh, it is Mark Baldwin's second episode about his week at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Steve Young, Ben Rector, Peter Jacobson, Fluff, Mark, the ups and downs of pro golf. It's awesome. Go to YouTube, like, subscribe, comment. First episode has gone great. This is another level. Great ones after that. Every Tuesday, Paige Crawford, Joe Hooks. Um, Super excited. So YouTube, uh, Fire Pit Collective, YouTube, go there, like, and subscribe. Uh, This week's episode, we talked about my dad, and uh, I cried, and please don't screenshot that, and make it a social media clip. Um, but we talked about my dad and his, his role in my life. Uh, he passed away uh, a couple days ago. And uh, we got into Patrick Reed and another rules controversy. We got into Liv. Uh, we got into Anthony Kim. Is Anthony Kim coming back? And the fact that he would truly move the needle on the Liv thing, you got to wonder. Alan has some great insight because he's done a couple of very in-depth stories on Anthony when he was playing. Um, we talked about Max Homa and what an important time for the PGA tour to have a guy who is engaging and funny and personable and also just really damn good. Uh, like Max, just a perfect time for the PGA tour to have that. Uh, it's another episode. Uh, we talked about libraries. That is the fire drill. I talked about the smallest library I've ever been to. Uh, do people even go to libraries? I mean, that is the fire drill in a nutshell. We talked about all those things in libraries. So uh, that's it. Watch the grind Tuesday. It'll drop uh, on my Twitter account, on our YouTube channel, 7 a.m. Eastern. Go watch it. Go check it out. We've really, really worked hard on this. People behind the scenes. Jake is one of them who's producing this podcast also. Uh, a million people behind the scenes that you don't see uh, that have made that. Marco is the main editor. Just a, uh, everybody's worked their ass off to make this thing a thing. So uh, thank you to everybody. Without further ado, here's the three of us talking golf. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. There is a lot to talk about. Um, of course, we have uh, Max Homa, who's just turned into a monster. Five wins in the last two years. Just won on a U.S. Open course with a spectacular finish. Um, we've got melodrama in Dubai, to say the very least. Um, we'll get to all that as well. But um, if it's okay with you, Ryan, I thought we, we'd start with you. I mean, you've, you've written so beautifully about your dad and his influence on your life and career and you've taken readers through this long journey as he's been battling dementia and you wrote a super moving piece about how mrs monday q you know was so devoted to, um to your father and in, in, in his final days and you know we, we lost him a few days ago and i know the fact that even on this podcast speaks to um your own grind like we try to talk ryan out of doing this but he's like no i need i need to get back into some routine so um 
I just wanted to open up the floor to you. And of course, Michael, as you've gotten to know the French family very well as well, just feel like we need some closure as, as your, as your family, sure. as, as your readers and your listeners, like how are, how are things in your world right now? Yeah, good. Uh, I mean, as good as they can be. Uh, I said today, like in the middle of this chaos, my parents have lived with us for a month. People in and out would live in my brother's house. So he comes, his family comes in and out and you like, you just every day wish that the chaos would stop. <laughs> and then the house seems very quiet today and the chaos has stopped. My brother's gone home. My mom's back at her house. Dad's gone. And it's like, we're all kind of walking around like you've you've had this chaos be part of your routine for so long. You kind of don't know how to get back to normal stuff. But my dad was super important to me. Um, you know, I think we'll get more into it uh, in Michael's book down the road. But uh, there were some pretty dark times in my life that my dad was there for me. And the caddy trips, uh, you know, saved my life at a, at a time that just wasn't a great time in my life. So um, I I miss him, and uh, I love him, and I miss him. Michael, what what um what can you share about what you've learned about about the French father son relationship? You know, well, j- just as as a starting point, he was a uh, he was an all state basketball player um, who you know maybe could have played at uh, at Michigan State and was certainly one of the best basketball players uh, ever to come out of uh, Alpena. And uh, it's a telling thing because uh, athletic skill is genetic, and uh, and Ryan has athletic skill, and it comes straight. Uh, it's it comes straight from the dad, and it was, and and it it made for a uh, for a connection between between Ryan and his dad. Alpena is a a hunting and fishing town. Uh, it has golf, uh, but uh, it's a spectacular thing to see a father and a son, any child and and any parent. Uh, uh, bond over this game that lets you show emotion every which way. And uh, uh, Howard's father, excuse me, Ryan's father, Howard French, um, was a remarkable person from a remarkable family in a remarkable town. And and Alan, I would say the same of your mom and, and her experience and my parents who fled Nazi Germany. We've all lost parents here in the past uh, year or so. And they've all had a lot to do with us finding the path uh, that that we have found. Alan and I have talked about this a lot over the years, but one year uh, early in, in, in Alan's writing experience, he won a Golf Writers Award and his mom came down to Augusta uh, for a day and came to a Golf Writers dinner and, you know, the the pride was beaming. And, uh, you know, she came out, she she had been a politician in, um, in Northern California and, you know, was accustomed to a public life. And uh, now her son was leading in his own way, a public life. And Ryan's father led an athletic life. And, um, and, th- and then Ryan was leading his own athletic life. And, you know, my case, uh, uh, my parents were, you know, totally committed to not totally committed to, they were just very active readers, period. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a reading tradition and became a writer. So we're all byproducts, of course, of our parents. And we all, in our own way, devote our whole life experience to our parents while finding our own life experience. So it was a privilege for me to get to know, uh, to get to know Ryan and, and, and by extension, Ryan's maternal grandfather, the other side of the family, uh, the Eustace side uh, where there was a writer and you know how these family traditions blend to make us who we are today. 
you know, Ryan, I'm, I'm curious what you've heard from, from your, your community of, of readers and followers, because as I said at the top, you know, they've been on, they've been on this journey and I'm sure a lot of them feel the loss as well. And they, they probably feel like they're pals with, they were pals with, with Howard because he, he, he populated so many of your pieces and, you know, there's great old photos of you guys and, and there was a lot of love and, and the things that you, you typed about it. So what have, what have you heard from your, your community? Yeah. I mean, super overwhelmed. I'm, I, uh, I mean, I, behind on text messages, I spent most of the morning catching up on DMs as best I could. Um, as Michael has learned, we, we share, overshare in the French family. And so, uh, you know, I've taken people inside, um, you know, this struggle that is dementia, that was dementia. Um, and, and I, I write it two reasons is for therapeutic reasons. It's my way to kind of tell the story and get it off my chest. And also I know a million people are going through it. I mean, those are the DMS, right? Uh, my grandpa's going through it. My dad was just diagnosed. I lost my brother or my dad or whatever to dementia. And so, um, you know, I'm happy that people, I, I appreciate so much all the support and I'm glad can people can relate. I think, uh, Alan, you've, you've said it a million times and I use the quote all the time is our job as writers is to elicit some sort of emotion, whether that's sadness or anger or happiness or whatever. Uh, and, and, uh, I think people can relate. And so, uh, I talk openly about my, not my ability to, uh, be the greatest wordsmith, but I'm pretty, pretty happy with how I write and people have related to my journey with my dad, our journey with my dad. So, um, uh, I, yeah, a, amazing amount of support. I'm still catching up on DMS and text messages and tweets. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. It is, uh, it will be, it, it is what we all wanted. And my dad lived a very good life and, uh, I've said many times is a lot of people would give anything to do the things that I did with my dad. He wasn't perfect. No one is. Um, but he was, uh, he, I mean, he, again, as you'll read in Michael's book, he, he saved my life. And, uh, so I love him and I miss him. Yeah. That's really sweet. Um, I know. Can we talk about just mundane golf matters? After yeah, all can that? we get to the Patrick Reed stuff? <laughs> but no, that's beautifully said, Ryan. And, you know, we're all sending you hugs from far away. And, um, yeah, I, I, I know you feel a lot of relief, but it definitely, you know, it's tough time. So we got you. If you get to Alpina and you do the uh, the Ryan French Howard French uh, uh, tour, you're going to be amazed at how good this Alpina City course is. Because <laughs> yeah, Ryan yeah. goes like, "Oh yeah, just our little city course, really nice, charming golf course with beautiful greens." And and our friend John Garrity would especially appreciate this, Alan. Grass driving range. Ooh, yes. No mats. I mean, that, There's no mats there, Ryan. Is there? No mats. No mats. The most beautiful grass you ever. Now they got about a four month season, so that probably helps. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's also so th- that's funny because there's a great 36 hole facility uh, here on the Monterey Peninsula, um, Bayonet Black Horse, and they redid the range, and they have acres of beautiful turf. It and it's a really expansive range, and it's tree lined. It's it, it could be like one of the all time great driving ranges, but they often 
have mats out. And it's so bizarre. You're hitting off of a mat and you're surrounded by luscious turf. And I, you know, I guess it's just a cost saving measure. It takes time and energy and water and, but the turf looks beautiful and it's so dispiriting. So yeah. <laughs> Can I just share this one observation about, uh, about driving ranges with mats and nearby grass? I have snuck onto golf courses all my life. In my life, I have almost never being kicked off a golf course but you go to a driving range that's got plastic mats and grass nearby <laughs> yeah. you take one swing and they're all over you oh sir uh for the last time i've told you you've got to get on the mat and you're like this is not the last time this is the first time could i have a little leeway here but it's amazing how they're all over you but sneak on you can sneak on augusta national and play three holes before you i, I will tell my uh spencer levine i'm a huge spencer levine fan as as people who follow we all are yeah. and uh the the Monday for the farmers used to be at uh, Industry Hills, uh, which has a two story mat uh, driving range, and some- I've snuck on that course many times. <laughs> I know. And uh, and uh, two or three years ago, I got a picture from a follower of Spencer hitting in front of the mats. And then he got yelled at and almost kicked off. And so it doesn't, it's just not you, Michael. It's an actual yeah. PGA Tour players. Also. Just a quick, just a quick note about that industry hills. They had two courses there, the Ike and the Ice, the Ike and the Babe uh, for, for Babe Saharas. And my mother-in-law didn't know anything about golf, uh, but I would go over there and she would say, yeah. Did you sneak on or did you pay? <laughs> and the other thing I had there, uh, Alan, you may have been there, but uh, did you ever know that Miller Library there? For for years, it was considered, I think it was called the Ralph Miller Library, maybe. It was considered one of the great golf libraries of the world, and they they shut it down. I don't know why there was a shard in there, and, and the library was part of it. Oh, yes. So when I was living in Belmont Shore in Long Beach, I would drive over there and use that library somewhat regularly. Um and it, I don't think I ever played the course. It was I was like just research because this is this was like what year was that? Ninety eight. So that was the year I got my first email address. I remember distinctly, but I didn't even have a cell phone yet. The internet was not really a thing. I mean, I guess it was, but do people I, still use libraries? Um, yeah, more for know, a computer access, I would guess, right? <laughs> yes and no. I mean. There's there's two good libraries in Carmel and they're always busy. The one is just dedicated kids library and that place is wonderful and I spent many hours there with my kids and all the schools go there. And then there is there is a nice right on Ocean Avenue, beautiful stone oh, building and it's spectacular um, that it's, library. It, it, yeah, and it's very busy. I mean I I've been encouraging my daughter is a voracious reader and she finds these series that have like eight books in them. And I know how it's going because I get ding, ding, ding. It's like all the Amazon notifications. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. go to the library. Um, it's Michael but, Michael will appreciate this. And then we are, I mean, this is classic fire drill. We are in a library speak. But Michael, just down the road from where I'm living, there is a the tiniest library I've ever seen in my life. Like we live in the middle of nowhere. And this is not even to Alpina, Michael. Michael, Alpina has its own library. But there is a Hubbard Lake library. And it, it might be... 200 square feet but they're raising money to expand it to 400 square feet so. <laughs> <laughs> all right to the patrick reed thing is it in the tree did he cheat did he not cheat <laughs> all right right so um well and we haven't even talked about you know t-gate on this podcast because that happened oh, yeah. since, since we taped our last one i mean it just 
the amount of bullshittery that that in, engulfs Patrick Reed at all times. It's just wild. And you know, flicking the tea, I think, was actually kind of funny. Like, I don't mind that bit. It wasn't like he was trying to blind him. It was it was kind of a jaunty, saucy move. But it's the tone deafness of, like, walking up to Rory. Hey, man, great to see you. Uh, when, you know, there's been some clarification that the, when, when Rory was served, you know, the for that lawsuit that wasn't strictly a Patrick Reed lawsuit, but it's the same lawyer and this lawyer is very, <clears throat> it's adjacent to Patrick Reed, but to, even setting that bit aside, I mean, Rory has been obviously the biggest PJ tour booster and he's made it very clear. He has, wants nothing to do with the live golf guys. So just on that alone for Reed to walk up to him, like, you know, slobbering on him, like a Labrador retriever, like it's just, it's, it's bizarre. It's like, so it's like sociopathic. Like I, I Make it make sense, Michael. Well, Alan, can I can I fine tune something you just by way of question? Um, yeah. Isn't Rory more in the, like the Jeff Ogilvy school to to speak of someone with whom we talk to regularly? Isn't he more of a little bit of an olive branch? You know, if they would get rid of Norman, blah blah blah. But that that there that there should be some well, he, ground. He's he he has made some noise to the effect. He's looking at the big picture. It's not good for golf to split up the stars. There's not enough fan interest or money to support these warring tours. So he's pragmatic. It would make sense. Um, and if you believe Andy Gardner, who founded the the PGL, which was the precursor to the to live golf after the Saudis just ripped off the entire idea, but um, you know Andy Gardner says that Rory was supportive of his, of his idea early on, and that. Rory saw the possibilities of how you could you would bring this infusion of, of money and interest and there was a way they could partner and make it work. So I think you're right that Rory sees a bigger picture, but at the same time, he's I that's a macro view. I think when you zoom in, he, he has a lot of bitterness towards the current live guys and he's fed up with them and their hijinks and their and and their their mouthiness. So uh, I think he would like to forge a compromise for the good of the game, but in the meantime, he's gonna he's gonna take as many shots as he can. And when That's a guy's why, on your door on Christmas Eve, it's gonna get intensely personal. And we picked exactly. up on that from Davis the same. Davis the same. Davis is a Davis Love is a very reasonable, mild mannered, intelligent person. But his view of Greg Norman is, you know, he's trying. He's suing me. They're suing me. They're they're bringing down everything that I represent. So be, it can't not become intensely personal. I heard an interesting nugget. I was down at Torrey Pines that the PJ Tour has decided they're not going to help any players with their legal fees, um, including, and I heard Davis has already racked up six figures in lawyer fees because he, he came on our podcast, he went other places, and he's obviously a huge part of the Ryder Cup effort uh, for, the, for the Americans. And that there's some hard feelings because even the staunchest defenders of the tour, the tours kind of cut bait and said, well, if you get, if you get rolled up into these lawsuits, good luck. And so um, that's going to be an interesting nugget because it's discovery process is onerous. And uh, I've heard the live golf guys are coming in and taking phones and no one wants their phone snatched from them. Um, there's um, what would be the motivation in the PGA tour, not supporting the players for legal fees? Be- because, then they become they're essentially sanctioning what the players said even though it wasn't authorized and some of these players were were, were a little out of pocket and uh it also becomes an issue of if 
not setting aside Davis, but anyone, if a player is negotiating with Live Golf and they're a tour member and there were secret deals made and there were things going on, there was collusion, there was antitrust behavior. Uh, if the tour comes in and defends that player, then they're essentially approving of what they did. I, I think they're trying to they're trying to keep their hands clean and they don't want to get swept up into the actions of of any outside agencies because then you have it's not just the players you have you have the actual agents who we all know are double dealing and um and um so i understand the tour's perspective like they they don't want to get involved if they don't have to but all of a sudden they're all these players are now gonna have to pay their own lawyers and that's that's going to be that's going to create more hard feelings and not good for us as reporters because uh, now that the well it's obvious uh but just for those to from it may not be obvious Sources are more likely to talk to reporters when they know there's a lawyer that's going to back them up if things go haywire. And then when there's not, then they're like, oh, is this really worth it? No is often the answer. Yeah, that's been one of my challenges in reporting this book is that a lot of people have said, I'll talk to you. And they come back to me and they're like, well, um, I was advised not to because they could subpoena your notes. And um, I'm like, well... That seems a little far fetched, but um, okay. And that that's just lawyers' jobs are to err on the side of caution. So, like a, a lot of folks who told me they sit down and talk have reneged. I'm, I'm hoping that some have spoken to me, you know, on background where I can use the information, but not their names. And um, some are mulling it over. But yeah, it's it's a, there's a definitely a chilling effect. And I mean, we talked about this in a previous podcast. That's really the point of these Patrick Reed lawsuits against journalists no matter what he's being told um, he probably knows he can't win them. And I think even the lawyer knows they can't win, but it's just, it's a hassle when you get sued. Right. And it's stressful and it's time consuming. And so they're just trying to put the chill on people and it's probably having an effect. I mean, um, like I would, it would be interesting to, to get an AI program and monitor all the tweets and all the discourse around this latest Patrick Reed, um, rules controversy in Dubai versus the previous ones. I mean, people may be a little more careful because they just don't want to get in the crosshairs of this stuff. And that's the whole point. I mean, that's the chilling effect. But so Ryan, for those who have were asleep when all this happened, summarize the most recent Patrick Reed controversy. Sure. Uh, he, a, uh, a person on Twitter. So he hit a ball into a tree and, and it got stuck. And then, a Twitter, uh, Michael Ferrier twist. I believe he might be, he's a player. Um, took a screen, not, not a screenshot, but a video of, uh, where the ball landed. And it is very hard to see, to be fair. It looks like it, but how much of that is like, we know it's Patrick Reed. Like if I saw that ball and it was, uh, Max Homa, I'd be like, I have no idea where that ball went, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, it looks like it goes in this one particular tree on the right. It it does, but it is very difficult video to see. And then uh, Patrick comes up and identifies his ball in a different tree. And to be fair to Patrick, uh, the the rules official used so they used binoculars. Patrick said he could see his uh, markings, and the rules official looked up at there and said that he could see his thing. Everybody thinks it's the wrong tree. I don't terribly disagree, but there's definitely some like it could have bounced into the other tree or maybe the video. The video is not by any means like 100 percent like, yes, it went in that tree. I would guess a good it looks like it goes in the first tree, Uh, but 
it, this is what has made me think of Tigay. This is the PGA. I mean, it's a, the much deeper view is it's so sad that golf is split, but the live tour has taken all of the villains. Like this would be such good golf if this was a week to week thing. If Rory and and Patrick really hated each other and the T thing happened and all of that stuff, it would be so interesting on a week to week basis. We never get they're never going to play together. Obviously the Masters would not like pair them, although I asked them to in a tweet. Like golf <laughs> golf golf needs a villain and and the Liv took all of them. That's Liv's <laughs> problem is they have all villains and no good guys. <laughs> Maybe Cam Smith's a good dude. But, like, they have all the villains. Like, this would be so fun. And this is the cart IRL thing that I always bring up. It's like, it's divided and we're going to forget about, like, it's just it's just a sad look that this is what golf is. Well, and the last thing I'll say is the T-Gate the is the most golf fight ever, right? Like, hockey players literally... So dumb. literally throw fists every day right like they get on and actually have a physical fight pound each other in the head and then like that's it and we're talking about a man flipping a tee at the ass of another player like it's the (laughs) you know like the greatest fight in the history of the world like it's ali frazier or something (laughs) yeah well i mean they may wind up playing together more often than you think because the whole reason Patrick Reed and other live guys are playing on the European tour right now is that there was this injunction that was filed and uh, in, in only a couple of weeks away where this is going to go before the courts in the UK and they're going to have to decide um, can the very narrow issue of can the European tour uh, demand releases for players and and that whole system of sort of restricting who can play when and where is is being thrown into question. And this has been ruled on by the high court in Singapore years ago. The Asian tour um, find some players who played in a conflicting event and without getting a release. And they were repudiated by essentially the Supreme Court of of, um, of Singapore. And they, they read they, the Asia had to pay back the fines and basically said, you can't do that. And there's a, a, a ruling in Australia years ago involving cricket players. They had an analogous situation and the, the high court of Australia ruled uh, or the federal court of Australia ruled in favor of the cricketeers saying that they should be able to play wherever they want, whenever they want. And so there, there, you know, these are different parts of the world, but there is an emerging body of, of legal thinking that, the system that's in place now is not going to hold. And so, and there's even folks who feel like the European tour may want to lose this case. Cause then they could say to Jay Monahan, Hey, we tried our best. We went to, we went to war for you, but this is what the court said. So now they get all their players back and that would allow, um, you know, Martin Keimer to play the German open and Lee Westwood to play the, the British masters and, you know, all uh, Sergio to play the Spanish Open, like these are important draws for these tournaments, and to say, no, say nothing of Ryder Cup uh, involvement. And then there's major Ryder Cup implications. So, um, and obviously, if if Europe lets all their players play, that's going to put the pressure on the U.S. side to open it up to the Dustin Johnsons of the world. And so, th- this is this is a very important legal case. How, how long it's going to be argued, how long it's going to take to get the ruling back, is a fundamental question that nobody can answer. But there will be a decision at some point and that will, that will shape this debate in a profound way. So 
if if the tour loses and the players win, then you're going to see the live guys all over the European tour because they want the world ranking points and they have you know a lot of history at these events. And then, of course, it does. We know they're going to see each other at the majors, and that's going to add a lot of juice. So, um, you know, remember in the old days, Michael, when the the USGA they would do funny pairings like one year they put all the fat guys together and um they they had they had a little bit of an edge in the pairings like you're not going to get patrick and 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 rory at the masters you you might get it at at, at the u.s open because like just because they're a little more muckrakers and they like the attention i don't know that would be epic i agree though yeah just one quick note i probably have said this before but I would have never guessed that Patrick Reed would join this live tour uh, for any number of reasons. You know, what was his thing? What do they call him on the Ryder Cup teams? Captain what? Captain America. Captain America. That was the start of it. Of course, you know, the red and the black and the falling Tigers thing. But this above all else, here's Tiger who really, when it's all said and done, even north of Rory is is really the spokesman for the the PGA tour, um, you know, as the ruling king of, of professional golf, Patrick Reed owes his golfing life. I think to, to the act of Tiger Woods choosing him for that president's cup team and then embracing him after that cheating scandal at the, at the Albany event, um, things could have things went south for Patrick Reed, but they would have been way, way worse and then Patrick Reed played very poorly the first couple of days, maybe the first three days. Uh, and there was the thing with the caddy and all the rest. Patrick's Reed, Patrick Reed's career could have spiraled out of control without Tiger's support, and uh, and it didn't. Yeah, I mean, he he was holding on, but it but it didn't. Well, it's true when when you go down the list of of the the big name players who went to live, they were old or they were injured, basically whether you're talking about Bryson, you're talking about Phil, you're talking about Brooks, Dustin, not that old, but possibly, you know, he's told people he doesn't want to play forever. Like he, he's, he's an old, whatever, 38. So Reed is the one guy that doesn't fit the profile because he's young and he's healthy and he was playing very well in the PGA tour. But here, here's what I think it's all about. He liked the outlaw spirit of the live guys. And I think he knew he was going to be unencumbered when he got there just to be himself. And I think that's why these lawsuits have touched off because the tour would not have supported him if he was going after reporters. It would have been a lot of blowback. It, it would have, I'm not sure it would have even been possible if he was a tour member. But we know that that anything goes on the live tour, more or less, and you're free to be the asshole that you are. They, they encourage it. <laughs> and so I, I think... Obviously, the money was a factor, but Patrick Reed was making a hell of a lot of money on the PGA Tour. I think, honestly, for him, it was like sticking it to the man, just knowing that all his colleagues in the PGA Tour hated him, all the battles he'd had. Um, it was sort of a fresh start, but more than that, it was, it was he was unencumbered. He, he could be more himself. And it's also why Liv has a chance to sign Anthony Kim, because part of what drove Anthony Kim off the PGA Tour was, and he told me this a few times, he hated all the PJ tour um, p- guys lording over him, the suspensions and the fines, like he was always in the principal's office and, and he never vibed with his colleagues on the PGA tour, who, as we know, skew towards conservative, religious Southern. And 
again, like it's a different scene on, on live golfs. And obviously the upfront money is, is intoxicating. We know that, but I think for a guy like Patrick Green, probably for like Anthony Kim, they feel more at home there. Cause as you said, Ryan, it's a bunch, it's a bunch of dicks and they're, they're at home. But I, I, and I also think that Patrick Reed, Michael, and is so out of touch with reality or lives in his own reality. Like, again, like Alan said it, who would, like, if you're Patrick Reed, you, like, any person would go, like, hey, I'm not going to go up to Rory and say hello. He obviously hates me, right? And the same thing with, with the ball in the tree. Any normal human would be who's gone through the things that Patrick Reed is has in the in the rules department you'd look up there right and you'd go you know what i think that's my ball but just to be safe i'm gonna go back to the t because i can't 100 percent identify it and i'm gonna win over some hearts and i'm gonna lose a couple strokes like it's not about money it's just he lives in an adverse like an a, a reality an adverse reality like any person that has had as many rules co- controversies as him goes up to that tree and goes yeah i don't know I don't think that's, I'm pretty sure that's my ball, but I'm not positive. If we can't shake it down, I'm going back to the T. Like anyone would do that. That is the rule. You have to positively identify it. Right. So he's up in the tree and it's just like he just lives. He doesn't think about Tiger helping him out. He doesn't think about anything. He just lives in this adverse, like this, this world where just his own world. And it's wild. His arrogance is astounding. And and, and, and it was on display for Everybody who's interested to see at Tory Pines a couple of years ago, you know, when, when he said to the uh, rules official, but I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you, that's the rules official is doing his job. Patrick Reed is not doing his job. And, and the, the tone should be Ryan, just what you, what you said. Uh, I'm going to bend over backwards here to make sure I get it right. That's what golf's supposed to be. So yeah, you're right. But I would have thought at the end of the day, he still would have showed deference to Tiger. That that's where I sort of that was the line I thought he would never cross, but obviously he did. Yeah. Alan, you would know you would know the most. Is is there any chance? There's been a lot of Twitter that AK is coming back. Your personal thoughts or anything you're hearing? Do do you think there's yeah. any chance he comes back? Yeah, so I'd, I'd spent a lot of time with Anthony Kim when I was doing a big feature on him for um, for Sports Illustrated. I mean, that was peak AK. It was it was like a, a week after the Masters when he almost won that thing. He made like whatever ten or eleven birdies on Sunday, and uh, he was flying so high. And um, and then of course things went sideways, and. Then, and then I wrote the big story that, that kind of cracked the, the code about this insurance payout he'd gotten. And that was part of why he was on the sidelines and the injuries. But I probably underplayed it in that story. And I learned more about it after it was published. Like he really had the driver yips. And some of that was swing um, changes that were necessitated by the injuries and compensations. And, you know, that happens. It happened in David Duvall. Like uh, when you get hurt and you start swinging the club differently, it, it goes from physical to mental, but, but Anthony Kim had a severe case of it. And so the, the two questions are, can his body hold up? It's, it's not just tournament play. It's how much practice you have to play to be tournament sharp. You know, he's had obviously a lot of time to recover, but he's also now he's getting close to 40. And the, so the big questions are, what is the state of his body? But also what is the state of his mind? Like the, the driver yips has ended plenty of, of of careers and running away from the game doesn't really cure it and almost makes it worse if you quit when you have them 
you're not fixed. You're going to have to come back and you're going to have to look down a fairway with all kinds of hazards and lined by people. And in his case, there would be an intense media scrutiny for every swing and it would be an event. He's, there's no easing into it, you know, if, if that's the route he goes. And so, and I, he was tired of that scrutiny because he was playing really poorly for almost two years and he was always getting in trouble by the tour and he was just burnt out on the whole thing. So maybe he's had enough time to miss it and to refresh and recharge, but I still think it's the longest of long shots, but but Alan, would, would, wouldn't wouldn't live golf give him an easy out for all the problems you just outlined? In other words, there's no there's no fairways lines with fans. It's fifty four holes, and <laughs> but it will be. You're, Michael. you're paid. You're paid up front. Uh, yeah, for sure. But the lights are still on on the CW. I mean, there's a the CW audience is waiting to watch Anthony Kim. Yeah. He's their demographic, actually. You know, teenage. But drama. of all the people they have, he would one hundred percent bring the fans in at least temporarily. I mean, like. For the first five, six tournaments, and if he plays well, like the guy was uh, a lightning bolt. I mean, oh yeah. So he would bring fans in for at least a, the first few events. Now, if he has the yips and he's shooting eighty every time, that will obviously end re- relatively quickly. But at the beginning, golf Twitter will be locked in on Anthony Kim. Absolutely. And there were all, you know, as his, as his game was deteriorating and his body was breaking down, it became, and I read them all. I mean, there was a lot of what's wrong with Anthony Kim stories and that it really nettled him. And he, so I would, I would say it's, it's one in a hundred chance. Uh, and so we all have a price. We all have a price. That, and that, so he got this big insurance payout, and supposedly he was a very savvy investor. He had smart people around him, and apparently he made a I mean, ton of money. He just sent a picture on Instagram of him in a private plane. It's like, how? Like, the yeah. guy, like he obviously okay. still had, like, how does Anthony Kim still afford? I mean, as far as I know, he doesn't do any speeches or anything like that. Like, he's just living no. off of this insurance thing. Or well, or maybe he's on a private plane because he's getting a large <laughs> check from Greg Norman. It's Greg's plane. Um, I mean, supposedly he he invested a lot of his money in these medical device companies that went crazy. And like I was told by people close to him who were, who knew that like he's set for life. And so I don't know. It's it's an interesting. It it's a tantalizing question. His Instagram picture. He needs to eat a cheeseburger. The dude is rail thin. I mean, like rail thin. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, because he was a little. He had a little baby fat on him back in his heyday. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a lot, there's a lot of a lot of calories in Louis the Fourteenth cognac or whatever he was buying for thousand dollars a bottle. So, um, yeah, I mean that. Again, like we haven't we haven't really touched on the the live golf schedule, which has been released, or the TV deal. It's all it's the drama. It's like it's we'll see how much if they can sustain that because for that was one of the keys to their existence was just the energy and the it was part of the conversation constantly. And it, you know, sports business journal named it the biggest story in sports. Like that was not about the competition. The open the the lingering question is anyone going to pay attention to the competition but look at the we're already off to this start we got ak we got t gate we got all this stuff it's like oh my god i mean we have talked about how impressed we all are with that they are this far uh but they definitely need a splash in the signing department it it seems this offseason you know there was a lot of rumors of top guys can't xander all those guys and they've all kind of sworn it off and it seems like they've been telling the truth like they haven't 
I, you know, there's a lot of rumors that Mito Pereira is gone. He's joined the agency that uh, all the live guys are under now. Daniel yeah. Rappaport said that. And, um, you know, so they need a splash, and AK <laughs> would be a splash. He'd be a splash. Mito Pereira, not a splash. <laughs> not a nice young splash. player. Yeah. The only thing about Cantlay is he always says, I'm committed to the PJ Tour. I love the PJ Tour. For now, <laughs> those two words are always tacked on at the end. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting talking to people down at Tory. Like, um, that's the one name that keeps popping up. Xander, I think, is is definitely team tour forever. But Cantlay's name still gets tossed around. Who who knows? But I mean, he's now on the board of directors of the PGA Tour. Like, it would that would be? He was in the Delaware meeting. Like, it would be a big deal. There, there's still some bitterness that. Um, um, Joaquin Neiman went because he was part of some some very rarefied conversations, and he was you know he's a great top young player who everyone had high hopes for. He won Tiger's you know event at Riviera, like, and and I've still detected bitterness that he was kind of a a, a double agent because he was part of some high level conversations on the tour, and then he went to live. So Catley would be a much bigger betrayal. I mean, he in that context because he he is one of the, the the keeper of the keys for the PJ tour now. So I don't know that that's the problem for live golf is they've set this benchmark so high. Like you've got to have the buzz. You've got to always make a splash. You you always have to be bringing in some impactful signing, but it seems like the battle lines have been drawn and there's just the only players available are kind of fringe. Did either of you have a moment where you saw the headline Colin Marika- Colin Marikawa and, um, and Adam Scott joined new golf league and you thought, Oh, They've joined Live, and then right. you click on it, and it's that you know Tuesday night thing or whatever it is. Did you, yeah, did you guys day. have that experience at all? Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. I I forget about this Tiger electronic game. I mean, like what? It's not a new golf league. It's what I don't know what it is. But yes, for Mona, I'm like, oh my god, oh that. Thing. Well, it's it's a money laundering scheme. It's like how can yeah. we pay these guys more money to stay loyal to the 100%. tour? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna watch it the first one. I might actually try and attend the first one just for giggles, but maybe it's gonna be amazing. I'm trying to keep an open mind, but it it just does seem like a way to give these guys more, uh, you know, unsanctioned money. But I think it is good to keep an open mind about it because, like, I remember I, I probably have told you this story, Alan, but Ryan probably have not. But I happened to be standing under the tree at Augusta National, and Chip Brewer, the uh, the CEO of Cali, was talking about some new investment they were making in this thing called top golf. And he described it very accurately was what it turned out to be. And I'm like, what a waste of money. You know, how wrong was that? All right. Before we go, we got to talk about Max Homa winning at Tory because we need a feel good story. And, you know, Homa started out as kind of this fun, cuddly character with lots of jokes. And he's turned into an absolute killer. I mean, he's winning on big time courses with really stout, precise thoughtful golf i mean his game is so built for the majors that's obviously only the next step you win five times in 25 months like you've proven you you can close and he's closed now he's just got to take it to that next level but um, i don't know if you guys caught the tele the um essentially the third round telecast when he was mic'd up in the round and he was talking to the announcers and he had the thing in his ear and that was a major breakthrough coverage wise. I mean, he's talking strategy, he's talking the mental game in competition and he's got like four different voices in his ear. Cause all the announcers are, are hitting him up. And 
I mean, it shows what a good sport he is um, to take that on. But it was also it was great TV. And um, this guy has become such a star because he's kind of proven you don't have to be an asshole to be a great player. You can be genuine and funny and sincere and, and sweet and also a killer. I mean, what a what a combination. This it's it's great stuff. It is. Uh, he's got a really nice manner with reporters and with fans, with uh, with his fellow players. You know, he's really the the full package. He looks great. He's got a beautiful swing, and um, and he doesn't quote just say the right thing. I mean, he actually tells you what what he's feeling and thinking. I think he's been terrific for the, for the tour, and you know, go, going into L.A. I mean, he's shown that. I mean, he's grew up in L.A. and I'm sure he knows the course well. But way beyond that, he just seems to love the grass and the air on the West Coast, and. Uh, he looks like he'll be good for, for, for a long time to come. He's been terrific. Did a Monday qualifier ever figure in his rise, Ryan? I'd like yes. to know. Yes. Uh, not only that, but I tweeted many times, and Jason Sobel <laughs> tweeted about it tweet. yesterday. <laughs> I've got is, the tweet memorized. Yeah. <laughs> Two things. One, uh, he was headed back to Q School. He was on the Corn Ferry Tour. The top 75 make it into the Corn Ferry Finals. Max uh, birdied four of the last five holes in the last regular season event to make the cut and keep his corn or get into the corn fairy finals by like $90 or something. Then went on to get his PGA tour card. But as I always try to give everything back to Mondays, he started the next tour season and played like shit. I mean, I think he had one made cut in eight events and it was like a T 60 was at the waste management Monday, uh, Monday qualified, obviously a, gr- a good event even before it was an elevated event and finished T 26 next week, went to pebble, an underreported story is uh, somebody on the last hole in the final group missed a putt to knock him from T11 into t- to T10 to get into next week at Torrey. Played well there. Six weeks later, won. So basically what I'm saying is every basically almost everyone's career always comes back to a Monday qualifier. <laughs> <laughs> One way or another. Well, and it's got to be painful for you to see what's happened to Patrick Reed because his whole career was built on Mondays. Like he w- could have been your Corey Connors, but no, no, he's not. I mean, I know it's so sad because like he is by far the most, you know, famous, infamous, uh, Monday qualifier. I mean, he not only Monday qualified six times, but did well with him and then got in a car that Sunday night or on a plane and drove with Justine to the next one. And she caddied for him and he'd get through again and play well again. They did that four weeks in a row once that's insane uh it's beyond insane that is it's almost mathematically impossible oh <laughs> well yeah. uh, i'd like to say michael said cue michael's clip about cues michael clip what he said i'd like to clearly state that patrick reed is a wonderful man i would like to say this about patrick reed if i may patrick reed is the kindest bravest warmest most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. <laughs> that was the man, that's from the Manchurian candidate, right? Is that where yeah. I didn't I didn't get it when you said it, but I went back and listened to the podcast. It's like, oh my god. That's so funny. Um Yeah. Max okay. the PGA tour needed Max Homa. Like he was always a big figure because of his social media following. But now that he's backing up with amazing play and obviously gonna be one of the favorites at the US Open, he plays well in California. Uh, like, I mean, this came at a perfect time. There could not be, you know, Cam Smith is, is super quiet and, and seems to be a good dude. Um, but like take the, 
other top players at Live and Max. They could not be more opposite, engaging, funny, uh, and a, a stone cold killer. All of a sudden, the PGA Tour needed Max Homa badly, and they got it. The dude is killing it, and at a perfect time for the PGA Tour. Oh yeah. I tweeted this once and like 10 people replied, oh, you just made that up. I was like, I didn't make it up. I actually, I'll never forget. I saw on Twitter, it was, I was at a tournament and I was just checking out and, and it was a couple, a couple of friends on Twitter were talking about who they were going to watch that day. And, um, and one of them tweeted, uh, his buddy suggested Brooks and he's like, uh, I don't like Brooks. He's like, let's go, let's go watch Max Homa or, or Joel Damon because uh, I like those guys and I relate to them and I I feel like I know them. And that really did happen. I really did read that. I should have screenshot it. But that was like such. This was years ago. This is way. I think maybe they had one combined victory, Homa and Damon, and that was a light bulb thing. Like how how much it's changed. It was, it was almost like the players were the gods before and and you watched them with awe and tigers, the quintessence of that. Like he was just, he wasn't even really, he didn't even interact with the fans. He just gave you this regal performance and you were privileged to get to watch it. And you would never know him. He would, you would never talk to him. He'd never sign an autograph. He would never say anything of note. Um, but that was, that was what it was. And now there's been such a sea change where, um, because you know these guys do podcasts and they do fun this and that and they, they have their social media presence the most popular players are the, are the relatable ones and kind of the nice guys and the ones who who make their their twitter followers feel special and um it's really been like this democratizing influence and of course home is obviously clearly um the king of that and and just surfs on this goodwill i mean i was out there at tory pines and People absolutely love the guy and they're, 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 they're talking to him as he's going down the fairway and they're shouting at him and, you know, he, he gives them the, the nod, the tip of the cap. Like there really is a connection that, um, if, you know, I came up watching Faldo and Seve and at tournaments and Tiger and, you know, Monty and these guys were, they were so glowering and so remote and they, they gave you an incredible, golf to to enjoy and and to to stand in awe of but you they were these unknowable untouchable figures and it's so interesting how that's flipped to me anyway alan you may have picked up on this but uh when max homo was paired with uh with tiger the first two rounds of the open uh this year at uh at, at st andrews to me he looked just totally distracted uh knowing that he might be playing with tiger woods at tiger's final open on the old course uh he just, you know, talk about not being a stone cold killer. I mean, at that moment, I don't think he, for those 36 holes, I don't think he was. Yeah, he's a fan. And there's something charming about that. You know, he's almost like he didn't try and hide it. Yeah. You know, he is yeah. who he is. And, and back to Max's interview on the course, uh, for those that say we're PGA Tour lackeys, that's 100% because of Liv. Not, not that Max is not a good dude and wouldn't agree to it, but just innovations in the in the watching product the PGA Tour didn't have any reason to be innovative, like zero. They like people watched their stuff. They didn't have any competition. One hundred percent, the innovations in the broadcast are one hundred percent due to live. It's there is no if you dispute that, you're wrong. Like and like and 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 the players agreeing to it. Not that Max is not a good guy and he wouldn't agree to it, but he know they know that there's competition, so they're more open to do stuff like that knowing that they want to get people to watch their product. 
Alan, did you ever have a moment of what it would be like to watch uh, Phil Mickelson in the booth as opposed to Trevor Immelman uh, during the <laughs> San Diego event? Yeah, I think I think Trevor's good. I like him, but you know he doesn't have Phil's needle, and he's not a star in the way that that Phil is. And um, I mean, clearly it, it's a miss. I, we. <laughs> I'll be curious if how much they'll get Phil into the booth. Like they, they'd be crazy not to. I mean, the, the problem is, you know, um, at a regular tournament, you can play in the morning and you can go in the booth in the afternoon. Like players have done that through the years. Now right. with the shotgun, Phil's playing whenever everyone else is playing. Like I think hopefully he'll come down with a mysterious wrist injury or something and he can just sit there up with Faraday and, and chew the scenery and it would be epic. And it would help them a lot. It would help the fact that during, during that San Diego event, Bones appears in ads and Phil does not. <laughs> I know it's San Diego of all places. I mean, it's wild. It's these are these are strange and, and interesting times. Um, but at least we got you know the fall into the winter, uh, early parts of the winter. Now now things are going gangbusters. I mean, Tory Dubai is a great doubleheader uh, as far as two big time tournaments and. And of course, next week, Pebble Beats, home game for me. I know people have mixed feelings about the format and there's not a lot of stars, but just to watch those golf courses on TV is so special. And, um, and by the way, episode two of The Grind is going to drop next week on Tuesday. And it's all set at the, at, at the Crosby Clam Bake where it one awesome. Ryan French um, is catting for Mark Baldwin. And I've watched that episode a bunch of times now. It is a plus plus it is so well done and if you want to know what it feels like to be inside the ropes at a tour event and for a guy whose entire life can change with a few swings like this episode brings it home with such immediacy and it it is it's a great it's a great watch so i I know a lot of these listeners probably watched episode one and, and we're into it and i can just tell you episode two is takes it to a whole different level and then the third episode is a is a completely different feeling about Paige Crawford, uh, who travels the the mini tours in a van with her girlfriend, and they're like they remind me of, of sort of some of these women I know in, in Big Sur. Like they've got their their free spirits, and they're they're out rock climbing and they're hiking in the hills, and there's just a sort of ethereal quality about uh, about Paige. It's so winning, and if you watch that and you don't wind up rooting for her, then um you might be Patrick Reed. But it's it's um the grind we're really proud of it and it's just going to keep coming so you can subscribe to the fire pit youtube channel and um it'll just be delivered to you you can find it on firepitcollective.com that'll be on on tuesday um the 31st of january so look forward to that and uh, ryan has <laughs> i mean ryan is honestly the star of that episode it's so fun and um first of all the episode is amazing obviously i'm biased uh but it is great insight into the pressure and the joy and the the ups and downs of being a, a golfer on the fringe of, of this life, being good enough to play, uh, to be out there and not be out there. And the, the amazing highs Saturday afternoon and the amazing lows Sunday afternoon for us. And, uh, it's just great insight, but also, uh, I do gain 40 pounds in, within the episode. The first interviews <laughs> are when I was at my best weight and the, second part of the interviews we needed to go back and reshoot a couple of interviews are at the barracuda and i've gained 30 pounds so please just like let's not talk about it okay let's just <laughs> i'm just getting it out in the open i was skinny and in shape at the barracuda in fact there's a line uh 
the second hole, Michael and and Alan will have to help me. Second roll at Monterey is like a big. What's the par three down the hill? That's amazing. The second at, at Monterey Prince of Country Club. Yeah, four. Well, well, the third hole is a downhill par three. Yes. Yeah. So three. So you have to walk up to this big hole, uh, to this big tee that's way up the hole, way up the, the hill, and. I say to Mark, and it's in the clip, it's like, thank God I'm in shape. I would have fucking died on this hill. And uh, now I'm fat again. So, hey, I just want to – it's out there, okay? Let's just not bring it up. I brought it up, and that's just the way it is. But <laughs> please watch the video. You keep bringing it up. <laughs> does, the, does the episode uh, one is great. I haven't watched two yet. Is there a nod in two to Steve Young's tee shot on 12 that Mark Baldwin described for me today? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So is, is it in there? Not, no, it's, it's not, not. A particular shot, but you get a great feel for Steve Young. You get a great fight. Super Bowl winning quarterback. Mark, yeah. Steve Young double hit a full shot. I have never in my life. It's impossible. It is literally impossible. He hit it here and here, and it went back and over his shoulder over there. It's you like he, try like it as popped, much as you want. Pop it up, and like he got wet. I mean, right he kind of chunked it, but it's a full shot, and he has like he's obviously in great shape and very athletic. He's not a good golfer, but like he's very athletic and he has a fast swing. I don't know how you do it. Like, it's not like if it was a very slow old swing, like, okay, I could see it. <laughs> he took a full swing and hit the double hit was not like, you know, all double hits are here, here, right? Yeah. This was like here and here. He hit it back over his shoulder. It was amazing. It, it was a great insight into like, it just lightened us up. We were started laughing so hard and, 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 on that hole, uh, Mark said, you know, I've seen a lot of things in my pro career. I've never seen a full shot double hit. <laughs> that's, that's so great. I love it. That's in the director's cut. that will be released at a later date. Yes. Um, anyway. All right. Well, fellas, it's always fun. Um, we'll dedicate this episode to the memory of, uh, of Howard French. Um, it was, uh, it was, uh, meaningful to hear, hear all that. Um, really rich and um and thoughtful commentary from both you guys that that i had a little tear in my eye so that uh but as always there's a little bit of levity here on the fire drill and there's various diversions and uh so this was a fun one for um for michael bamberger and ryan french i'm alan shipnuck uh this is fire drill podcast we'll do it again next week thanks for as always for listening and go watch the grind i, I promise you're gonna enjoy it that's the end I bet big and I played to win Made a fortune when my ship came in I ran the table, never thought I could fall Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head Can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about